Welcome to the Teachers Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Simon Hunt, also known as Mr Hunt from the front. You may have seen a viral video going around of a teacher flossing with some of his students and that was him. It's not the only thing he's done though. He's actually taken learning outside the classroom and used social media in a really inspirational way, which has demonstrated to his children what can be achieved and what's possible if you believe in something relentlessly put the work in and also ask for things. During the interview, he shares his teaching story and how he ended up being involved with European Parliament by accident with him and his children affecting positive change for Orcas. I really hope that the interview inspires you to try new projects with your children and dare to take the learning outside of the classroom. Let's get to the interview. Welcome to Classroom Secrets. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really looking forward to interviewing you and finding out lots of the things you've been doing and also how that can help uh, teachers as well. Um, so I'd just like to be really helpful. We've obviously had a conversation before, yeah. but can you just give me a background of your journey into teaching and then throughout teaching so far? Because it just helps mm. people build a picture of who you are and why you could help them. Right, so I didn't do my PGC until I was about 28, 29, so I came quite late into teaching. Um, I did my PGC down in London, and when I qualified, I was in reception for my first year, and that was the hardest year. You can imagine being a six foot three tall guy with kids about knee height, it's quite dangerous at times. And, yeah, yeah. and reception is a really tough year mm. to do, and people I don't think people realise how hard reception can be unless you've actually done it. So I did reception oh, for a year. Oh, you've got a three year old. Oh, you've got a three year old, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. there's that. Um, <laughs> And I think at the time, you know, I wasn't a parent, so I think it was more difficult for me at the time because mm. I wasn't a parent. I didn't understand, you know, children at that age as much yeah. as I would have thought I'd like to anyway. So then I did that for a year and then I thought, well, I don't know what year I want to teach. Do I want to teach reception year six, year three, year four, year two? Well, what do I want to do? So I decided to do supply for a year. Mm-hmm. So during that year of supply, one day I'd be in year six, the next day I'd be in reception, next day I'd be in year four, in nursery. I was all over the place and I really enjoyed that. And I got to see... The, not only the different year groups, but the different schools, because schools are so different depending on what school you go to. Mm-hmm. So then from there, I had um, an extended supply in the year three, four, in the year three class. And then I thought, right, I want to do Key Stage 2. Mm-hmm. So I applied for a job in Bolton, um, Devonshire Road Primary School, and I got, I got a year six job. And when I got year six, I was like, oh, no, not year six. That's a, I've got the SATs. I was really, mm-hmm. how am I going to do this? All right, to give it a go. So I was there, and I absolutely loved year six. Just to interrupt, do you feel like you got year six because you're a man? I've no idea. I've no, I, th- I think. Um, so I think some some people think that, don't they? Yeah. You know, oh, we've got a man in key stage two. Yeah. Put in year six. But then again, there's a lack of key, uh, male teachers in EYFS and yeah. key stage one. So yeah. I'm not sure about that. But I enjoyed it. I was there for five years. I had five classes. First year was just a learning curve for me because that's when the curriculum changed as well. Mm. And then I really got into the swing of year year six. And I absolutely loved it. Um, but then 
our second child came along and I wasn't seeing the first one Hugo as much as I was seeing as I'd mm. like to because even though it wasn't far to travel yeah, yeah. distance wise I used to get back quite late so I decided to move to a school closer closer to me but a school that I had a good feel of when I went to go and see it which is Tottington Primary where I've been ever since I got that job down I was in year and year three four so a mixed year three four class mm-hmm. but we've got 20 22 23 year four and some year threes as well mm-hmm. mixed in there and I've been there ever since and since I've been there I've gone down to four days in January because I started my Facebook page around about two years ago I think it was and I just started it just to share some ideas and just show what's going on in class because I thought maybe people could use it in their class you know if one person uses a lesson that I've done in class in theirs mm-hmm. and it benefits them then great and then I remember I got like something like 100 followers I was like oh my gosh 100 people are interested in what I've got to say yeah, this yeah. is amazing and then it's just grown growing Different videos have kind of gone, like that one, the floss dance one that went viral and had something ridiculous, like I think 7 million views or something silly. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen the um, oh, floss no. video, then <laughs> we'll post the link on the live and we'll also uh, make sure it's in the show notes as well so that people can yeah, see. Yeah, and I do charge for live performances of that very dance now, <laughs> uh, £1 per swing, and you can get a lot of swings per minute as well. Wow, yeah, wow. So. Maybe we should get one right now. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I might pull out this microphone. But yeah, so that I've put various lessons and um and then I went down to four days in January because you know, in school we talk about the kids having a growth mindset, take risks. We talk about that all the time and I thought, you know, I've got people asking me to go to their schools to do C P D and I wanted to spend more time on other projects that I was doing. I mean I worked with HP and B T and some various different projects in my own time and I was struggling to fit it in. Or I was having to take a day off school. School would pay, I paid the school supply and then I was taking time out. So I thought, just try it for a year or six mm-hmm. months. And my school is so supportive. They've been wonderful with everything that I've done. So I went down to four days. And since then, I've almost had to turn things away because I've done had too much to do. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's great because I get four days in class, which is still my favourite part of the week. And then the one day I get to do something different each week, something that I never would have thought I could have done mm-hmm. when I first started teaching. So do you feel like it's working out for you doing four days? Or are you looking at something else? I think four days, just because when I when I do CPD sessions, for example, or when I go into schools, everything I talk about that works, I can say I know it works because I did it last week or yeah, I did yeah. it the week before. I and I think I think teachers relate to that. And because I'm still within the classroom, I'm still in touch with what's going on in the classroom. And it's still my favourite thing, the four days. I mean, I'm lucky at that at the moment at my TA, she's Mrs. Bowler, she's ace. She um she's me on Friday. That was a shout out. Yeah, that was from Mrs. Bowler. Um she's she's me on Friday and she's my TA throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So I was worried when I went to four days, how will it will it disrupt the class? Like how how will it work for them? Um but because they still have that consistency of Mrs. Bowler being in the whole week, mm-hmm. by the time it comes to a Friday, she's still able to you know yeah. and you know, and she's a great teacher as well. So yeah, since then I've done, I mean, it's taken me places that I didn't think I could go to. I was speaking to someone before how I went to Barcelona three weeks ago. Yeah. And that was through making a connection through Nexus Education and making connections and then them asking me to go to Barcelona to do a keynote on some of the work I've done in class. And I never thought that would have been possible. And I think I'm glad I took that risk mm. because if I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have known these other things that could have happened and I would have yeah. still loved it in my class, would have mm. still been in class full time but I wouldn't have had these opportunities that I've had. And then like, I'm sat here now. That's yeah. coming from doing extra things in my Absolutely. own time. So I, I love I love teaching. I think it's the best job in the whole world, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, good. Well, 
might ask I won't ask you then if you um <laughs> if you um want to leave teaching. No. Definitely <laughs> um, not. So you've you've mentioned like you've kind of touched on some mm. of the things that you've done but you haven't sort of told me the story. So we had a conversation um, a few weeks ago and yeah. you told me basically what you've actually done with your children and how it's taken you to where you are now where you can sort of be a bit more influential um in the education sort of sector so do you want to tell me the story i don't want to say the 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 word but the story that you told me right it's a long story but it's it's a well, good story yeah it's a good story so about let me see about five six years ago we did we look, i watched the film blackfish at the weekend on the saturday and at the time we were doing the topic around um we had to do balanced arguments and I thought that'd be a great topic to do because mm-hmm. I'd been to and if you've not seen Blackfish it basically talks about how killer whales or orcas are too big to be in the small tanks that they live in and it's dangerous for them and the people that look after them um, <clears throat> so I'd been to SeaWorld when I was 16 and I thought it is when you go to SeaWorld have you ever seen these uh, huge animals jumping out of the out of the tanks and performing it's amazing to see mm-hmm. and you want to see more of it but I didn't know the flip side of how they got there in the first place and mm-hmm. conditions and living and why they all have collapsed or something. So I did some work around that with the kids. And the first day I said, right, guys, who would like to go to SeaWorld? So they all said, yep, we'd love to go to SeaWorld. I showed them a video of one of them performing and then we've written some arguments uh, for us trying to persuade the head teacher to send us to SeaWorld to see them live. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I said, how do you think they got there in the first place? And they couldn't answer it because they probably never thought about, well, how did they get there in the first mm-hmm. place? Because it's not like they swam there and they, they stay in the tanks and they go off. Yeah, yeah. So I showed them some of the clips from the Blackfish um, where it shows them being taken from the sea as babies and kind of stuck in a tank. And then when you look deep into it, they come from all around the world and they speak different languages. Um, so they, they don't always get along together. Um, one of them, Tilikum, who died a couple of years ago, he's killed two people but because, because of his... Um, psychological the way he was too mm. it was huge and he was in such a small tank and so there's lots of arguments for and against it was a great topic and because when you do anything with animals kids really sort of relate they can sort of relate to animals they have a love of animals mm. young kids they, they do love animals so also maybe that sense of not being in control yeah as well and they can understand like how would they like being taken from their mother how would like you know we, we, we mapped out the size and mm. scale of a if you was in a room the size of this big for the rest of your life how would you feel yeah yeah and they got it very quickly, probably quicker than adults would, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did some poetry around the, around the topic and we put it on uh, Facebook, on YouTube. And then there was an organization in France called Marineland who mm-hmm. translated into French and said, can we use your video? We'll translate into French because mm-hmm. they're based in France because there's still a marine park in France called a Marine Park that have killer whales there. So they're against that. Mm-hmm. So then they said can we translate into French? So we said yes. And then the day after, it had 200,000 views or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from something that we did on a wet Wednesday afternoon in Bolton, it was pinging around the world in a different language. So I thought, I'm not going to do another subject next week. I'm going to stick with this because mm-hmm. the kids are enthusiastic. They want to write and they want to work. Mm-hmm. I'm just there to facilitate that. So we, um, did, we did some other work and then we spoke to Sam Berg from the film because I pinged her an email and I said, there's any chance we could speak to you because she's one of the main trainers who was friends with someone that died at SeaWorld. Any chance we could talk to you? And she said, well, I'm speaking to CNN. I'm speaking to NBC, but I've got a spare hour. So I checked my diary and I said, yep, that's fine. We're, we're good with that. So it was during Christmas this time now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I said to the kids, we're going to speak to Sam Berg. And as a teacher, you sometimes... You technically, you lie to your kids 
sometimes, you know, to get, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but they didn't quite believe what I was saying was true. So they still create questions anyway, really, really good questions. And then we spoke to a live from Alaska for about an hour and it was amazing because I kind of sat, the, it was one of the best lessons that I had literally, I just stood in the corner while the kids had a full on debate and a discussion with a scientist and someone that's been on TV. It's amazing. And then, um, so the week after, the, there was an organisation called Born Free, if you've heard of those, mm -hmm. and um, the um, Dauphinarian, there's a bill that was trying to be passed in the European Parliament a few months later, and they said, would you like to be part of this in some way? So I said, I'd love to. So we then, written to the government, we then um, did some, uh, we collected signatures, something like 2,000 signatures in support of, the bill was called the, the ban on captive cetaceans in EU tanks. And cetaceans are basically dolphins and anything bigger than a dolphin. Okay. Basically too intelligent animals to be in these small tanks. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were supporting. So we were supporting that. And then we got another phone call from Born Free that said, is there any chance that you and a few kids can come to Brussels with us? Mm -hmm. um, because we'd like to be part of handing in your petition. And then you'd like to, we'd like to be part of an event that was going on there. So I went to my head teacher and I said, have you got about 10 grand spare? that I could go to Brussels and she said well not really because we're struggling to buy pens and glue sticks let alone send a bunch yeah, of kids yeah. to um, the European Parliament so I could have stopped at that point and you know when we talked about taking risks mm. so uh, I delved a bit further and I found that MEPs have a certain amount of budget that they give to schools on educational trips so I spoke to Sajid Karim who is a Northwest MEP and I said you know we'd love to come over at this specific time mm -hmm. to hand in our petition and they didn't even question them, said yes. And then I kind of filled in some forms and did the longest, um, the longest risk assessment you can imagine going to Brussels. Um, yeah. And then we had to with, choose with 10 primary kids. School yeah, and then we, <laughs> exactly. And I had to choose 10 kids. And that was something I was worried about, because how do I choose 10 out of 60 kids that are all passionate about this subject? Yeah. So we did a random draw. And um, it was easy because a lot of them didn't have um, passports. Yeah. So we kind of um, narrowed it down. Mm -hmm. And we chose the 10. What was so lovely to see was those 10 that got chosen. The rest of the kids weren't disheartened that they weren't going. They were supportive for the fact that they'd been chosen and they're going yeah, to do yeah. this and represent them. So a few weeks later, we were in it's March time it was. Um, I was sat in the coach five in the morning with 10 kids, um, deputy head teacher and my TA, ready to go to Brussels. So we got a coach. We got to Manchester Airport, flew over. We you got, uh, flew the children yeah. on the plane. Yep, I know, I know. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, they <bet> it was. <laughs> it was worrying as well. <laughs> yeah. And then we got another coach, and then we got a tram, and then we walked the front, around the central square of, of um, you know, the main square of Brussels. Um, from there, we then, the next day, we went to European Parliament. We had a tour around this huge chamber, and we went to a room, and then we handed our petition in. Sajid Krim got his pictures and then we sort of left mm -hmm. and then that evening we were invited with the Blackfish crew to come back to watch a screening of Blackfish but we didn't realise it was like a premiere of it with a red carpet and photographers mm -hmm. in the centre of Brussels so there's me with my, my deputy and my TA 10 kids from Bolton with their blue jumpers on walking down a red carpet in the middle of a premiere because of something we did in Bolton three months before so then we went and we watched we went in the main chamber and then the, this chamber is absolutely huge and then they said um, you're sat at the front, so I was like, really? We're sat at the front, so they took us down to the front, we sat right at the front, right in front of the big, like, right at the front there. And um, then we had SeaWorld and anti-captivity people having a huge debate and argument um, after we watched the film as well. And then the lights came on and they opened up questions to the floor. Mm -hmm. 
So um, they had these little microphones here on the little bottom, and they had, the room was full of people, scientists, MEPs, and then 10 kids from Bolton at the front. And one of my kids, Bradley, kind of uh, he pressed the buzzer and put his hand up like this. And I was at the other end, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is he going to say now? Because this could go terribly wrong, or it could go really well. And he um, sort of kind of they looked down at us because they thought, who are these kids here? And he tapped the microphone, and everyone, because like, you had these headphones on, because it was being translated, translated into languages, and he tapped the microphone, boop, 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 and, he, and he said, um, he gave the statistic to SeaWorld, and he said, um, why is it that 100% of male killer whales have collapsed dorsal fins? Do you know the dorsal fins on the top? They're all collapsed. If the males in captivity, they're all collapsed. But in the wild, it's 0.05%, and it's usually because they're about to die. That's what happens. Why is that SeaWorld? And then everyone kind of looked around and thought, who's this? who's this kid here at the front because he's just schooled SeaWorld. The anti-captivity yeah. people kind of like smiled and looked at SeaWorld to say, what are you going to do about this? The SeaWorld people looked down at Bradley and thought, well, we're prepared for any scientist to have a go at us, but not a, a little kid. boy. Yeah. And then... Um, it's moving, isn't it? Yeah, and I was just sat there going, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? And then then he was waiting like as if to say, go on, what are you going to say? And um, I was like, because I was right at the other end, I was like, I wanted to stand up and like do a little dance and stuff. But they couldn't answer. They yeah. kind of stumbled on their words. They didn't know what to say. And then they said, well, any more questions? So obviously, because Bradley had been the first one to do it, mm. the rest of the time, they all pressed the buzzer like this with the hand up, waving around. And I just sat back. And that, obviously, the anti-captivity people were just smiling because they didn't have to do anything. Yeah. A sea world were worried and confused because they were losing the argument against 10 kids. Yeah. And I was stood there, sat there thinking... God, I only planned this on the weekend, like a few months ago, a few well, a few months ago. What's going on here? And then, so they held their own and they had a full argument with SeaWorld. But to them, it what it didn't seem to. It was more of a thing for me than for them because they were passionate and they were talking openly about what what's going on. But they didn't. I don't think they realised at the time what How a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So the next day we went to a chocolate museum and we went around Belgium and had loads of chocolate. And then I went back and I thought, right, what, what am I going to do now? Because What's my next topic going to be after that? Yeah. Like, how would you top that? But you must have felt so proud because Gosh. the children knew, or they obviously knew so much about it. They they they, they remembered they remembered it because they were so passionate to mm. to ask those questions and and feel like they could make a difference. Mm. And it didn't stop there. So um, two months later, SeaWorld threatened me. They sent me a letter to the school. It was a full on letter saying how dare you do this you shouldn't be doing this this and this mm. these are the statistics that you we we believe in so at the time i thought right well am i going to get in trouble because i don't want to get sued by SeaWorld because well, the lesson yeah. i did in class yeah, yeah. so i phoned bone free and i said what where do i stand here am i am i, am I in trouble <laughs> what's yeah, going to yeah, go on yeah, yeah. they said well no what they do is they see people they because we made the news and we we're on tv and yeah. the newspapers and stuff what they do, they look out and they search for people that have said these things negative against what they believe in. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is they'll send these letters and a lot of people will just stop what they're doing. Mm. And, but they said, in fact, you, it's just a blanket letter. They'll, send it, they'll, they'll make it sound threatening and yeah, they, yeah. They'll, they'll want you to be worried and they want you to stop. So what I did was I did the opposite that they thought it would happen. So I printed off all their statistics in A3 and I pinned it on the wall. So as the kids came in, they all walked in and they all said, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And they were really angry that they did try to scare me. Mm -hmm. So then we've written 60 letters back to European, uh, back to SeaWorld and said, well, you're wrong because of this, this and this. And then they never, they never bothered with us again. 
And since then, um, last year, we did another project to do with Born Free um, and to do with Free Morgan, who's a killer whale in, um, in Tenerife. Um, about trying to free this killer whale and then got in contact with Jeffrey Vendra. He was the other trainer from the film. Mm -hmm. He um, He's like, my, he's my friend. I spoke to him a couple of days ago now and then he invited me to Seattle mm -hmm. last year. So I flew over to Seattle because of the work I'd done with my class a few years ago and last year. So I flew over to Seattle. They picked me up in Seattle, took me to San Juan Island, which was this island just off the coast of Washington, Washington State. And there was this big conference going on called Superpod 6. And I had 45 minutes to talk after the Canadian Senate. So there was the Canadian Senate and then me, which was, I remember sitting there thinking, this is just surreal that I'm sat in this huge theatre on this island. Primary in the school, of, yeah. different Bolton. Yeah, because of something I did a few years ago and last year in Tottington. So then it was my turn to go up. I was so nervous. I stood down and I thought, right, just go with it. And I had clips of cute English kids as well to be part of it. And we got a standing ovation at the end. Yeah. And afterwards, I had all these people that had read their books. So Ingrid Vesta, I was reading a book on the way there. She took me out for lunch the next day. Jeffrey Ventry, he took me on his boat. And then we got off, went kayaking. And the reason why they have it on this San Juan Island is because around that time, they have um, resident killer whales, which basically circle this island for these two weeks mm -hmm. because of the Chanuk salmon. So I was kayaking and I had 10 killer whales just there, just next to me singing. It was weird that. I finally got to see them from on SeaWorld, you know, doing all this work. And then I was there kayaking with them just there. So that was last year. And I'm going back next year. Um, we're going again and we're doing some work in this next academic year to do with Morgan again. So I'm going back next year. So, yeah, that's I know that's a long answer. That's amazing. That's the story yeah. I wanted you to tell because you've you've taken learning outside the classroom, haven't you? And I think... You know, I, I want to know really, has the reaction you've had made you think differently about what you're planning in your lessons and, and, and what you deliver in the classroom? Yeah, um, I went, during that um, session I went to in Barcelona, there was a guy before, I can't remember his name, but he said, um, school shouldn't, you sh schools shouldn't do, do you know the Las Vegas, the, um, the uh, saying around Las Vegas, whatever happens in Vegas stays Days in Vegas. In Vegas yeah. he, said, he said schools should have that opposite effect. Whatever happens in the classroom should go out of the classroom. And I believe, and I thought right, that really that really explains what I'm what I'm about. And I think by it could be anything by giving the children the tools to look at both sides of an argument and make their own their own their own viewpoints of those arguments. It's just a skill to have in no matter what no matter what you look at. Like with the floss dance thing, we had seven million views and we had um, loads of positive comments. And then there was one comment that said. Um, what is the world coming to with these teachers dancing during lessons when they should be teaching? So I, I photocopied that that one comment and I put it on the wall and we had a discussion about the fact that is she okay to think that? Because all she'd seen was a one minute video of me dancing yeah. um, with some kids. Um, she wasn't to know that it was during break time. She wasn't to know that we said, who wants to do this at break time? Five of us. We did it in literally two minutes. We pressed yeah. record. We danced to it and went back. Um, she's okay to think that and I think children are so used to having the, um, they want positive comments all the time mm. and they don't know how to deal with someone that says something negative, especially with yeah, the social yeah. media world. And I think we as teachers need to teach them the fact that people will disagree with you, yeah. whether they're right or wrong, you're, that's okay and you're okay to feel, they're okay to feel like that. You might not agree with them, but they can feel like that. And if they don't agree with you, then you've just got to accept it. Yeah. And also when you see a newspaper, especially things like the Daily Mail, just because oh, yeah. it's an article doesn't mean it's correct what it says no. there's always two sides of a story and then just to 
not take things on you know as read and i think that's what i believe in and with taking if i would have stopped like going back to that story if i would have stopped when they said there was no funding none of this would have happened i may not even be sat here now but because i thought well no i'm going to try something i'm going to and explain this all the way to the kids so can you imagine those kids now that are They'll be in secondary school. What have you done in um, to do with European Parliament? Well, I've been to European Parliament and I completely right. forgot to say something that um, a year after we got back, I got a letter from European Parliament that the law actually got changed mm. and my kids and my name is named on this official law. Yeah. So my kids have changed, literally changed law in European Parliament before they even hit secondary school. So you can imagine those kids when they get older, what they think they can achieve. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's that thing as well, isn't it? It's giving value to it. Mm. So... When you get a job, you do something for a reason, whereas often in school it's all pretend, you know, so even if you do, if you film something, it never gets shown. Yeah. Um, but now teachers are starting to sort of put it on yeah, YouTube. It is getting, purpose. yeah, <laughs> it's doing it for a purpose. And I think that definitely gives them more of a reason. And when they, mm. you know, they're going to Parliament, it's because it's for a reason. They're mm. doing it for a reason and, and they're writing for a reason, you know, when they, they wrote to SeaWorld, it's not that... Um, oh well, let's write a fictional letter to the head teacher to ask if we can have a non-uniform yeah. day. Yeah, which it's, is the usual one. Yeah, this is it. It's you know, let's it's actually real. send yeah. it to a real company um, that actually is about something real. And I, I guess in that sense, you're going to get better work out of them because mm. they're going to believe in it. They're going to feel that it's real. And I think we sometimes underestimate what kids are capable of. Yeah. I mean, we, we test them a lot. But and we what they we understand yeah. about the world. Like We shouldn't tell them this in case they don't understand it. Well, may, maybe they could personify a killer whale because give them the opportunity. And they, I mean, sometimes things do, they don't always go well. No. But I think you learn just as much from those things that don't go well as something that does. Yeah. But yeah, I love like writing for a purpose, doing things for, I mean, I ask a lot of kids now what they want to be when they're older. They say a YouTuber, that's like one of the number one things. Well, yeah. as a teacher, you can either just ignore that or you can tap into it a little bit. So... When we film, do poetry, we always record it because poetry is supposed to be performed. It's not supposed to be on paper. Whenever we do lessons, if we can record it and put it on YouTube. I mean, I'm lucky that my school, we don't ignore the Facebook, YouTube thing because some schools are like, oh, we don't like social yes, media. Yes. If we put it in a box over there, on a nice little pink box, it won't exist. But it still yeah, exists. Yeah. And yeah. by tackling social media and it's talking about it bigger. openly. Yeah, um, our kids that we have in school, they, they like when I said about the fact that people don't always agree with you. That's what happens in social media when things can spiral. Yep. Um, our kids are almost prepared for that when they do go to social media. I'm not saying in reception give a kid a Facebook account, but what I am saying is we don't just ignore it just because we're a bit scared of it. Mm. So, um, obviously, I, we talked about this before, but um, in business, we talk a lot about risk and reward. Yeah. So, the higher the risk that you're prepared to take, then the greater the reward you get from that. So do you feel as though you've adapted this into your teaching and do you think teachers should be making uh, should be taking bigger risks? I did accidentally I think by by I didn't realize that that's what I was doing when I, when we first did the killer whale things and subsequent lessons and things that I've done since that if I wouldn't have tried it it would have never happened. I think if you don't try things you're going you're always going to cap what the children and you as the teacher as well can achieve. Mm-hmm. But if you open it up a little bit then you're not putting a a roof on what they, what could happen you're kind of letting the children to see i mean the biggest thing at the moment is in education is the lack of creativity but that's to do with testing i believe but by doing this different approach of writing for a purpose get letting children achieve things then it's you know it's giving i don't know i think i just believe that we if we take more risks 
things will go wrong, mm. but then they'll go right as well. And you've you'll got to take the roof mistakes. with the smooth, haven't you? Because like we mentioned before, the growth mindset is a huge thing in education, but um, a lot of teachers are teaching growth mindset, but then still sticking with the same way that they teach, even though we're telling kids, you guys yeah. take risks, it's fine to get things wrong. But I'm going to stay teaching the exact same way because that's what I'm comfortable with. We shouldn't be like that. If we're telling the kids this, and as teachers, if we take, mm. if we practice what we preach, yeah. then we'll get more rewards for ourselves and for the yeah. kids that we teach. I as guess well. it's about leadership, understanding that as well, because mm. it's almost like, oh well, it's it's okay for the children to to to, to make mistakes, but the yeah. teachers aren't allowed to make mistakes. So yes, you can do it as long as it works. Yeah. And and it's understanding that sometimes you have to try things and they don't work, and um, everyone being okay with that. Um, mm. and allow me for it's that, that resilience happen. about showing and then talking about it if yeah, something goes yeah. wrong in the lesson I've said gosh that lesson didn't go as well as I thought why do you think and then they said well Mr. Hunt, because I think this this and this and then they've then critiqued what I've done which means I can if I did something similar again I think that's what that class said yeah, and yeah. because those are the ones that we teach yeah and reviewing just reviewing mm. everything I think but in an informal way you know yeah. a positive way um do you think now that you always look for ways to take things bigger than the classroom? I wouldn't say always. I think if it fits, I wouldn't force it. Every time we do a subject, I wouldn't think this needs to go global or viral. If it fits, then what ways around, what ways can we incorporate within the subject or lesson? But I wouldn't say always because I think if you always do it, then again, the kids will kind of get used to trying to want to. I think they need to have a balance. But it's, yeah. it's a balance, really, I'd say. Sometimes you go big, or sometimes sometimes you just have to teach certain things and yeah. make it as exciting and fun as possible. But sometimes you just have to get those curriculum things in. Yeah. But then when something and that's that fits, a life skill in itself, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And when but if something fits, and you can do something a little bit different, then I think you should you should give it a go. So when you did um, about the whales, mm -hmm. it it kind of just went away with itself, mm -hmm. um, and you decided to go with it, which was. A really good decision is there a certain way that you you plan a topic now trying to keep in mind that it could go somewhere or do you yeah. kind of have an end goal still how do you so my school we're theme based so we we do different themes and sometimes it's quite difficult to fit certain things in a particular theme but what we do is in the summer we just did this with my year group partners as well we look at what subjects we've got coming over the year, what themes. So our first theme is Romans. Mm -hmm. And we look at how we could best utilise that topic. Because some topics are better for geography. Yeah, or for, yeah. you know, sometimes they just fit better. So I have an idea. But I don't think you can fully plan something unless you know the kids. Because mm -hmm. I could plan something based on what I think the kids would like. Mm -hmm. But until I know the kids, I don't think you can... You know, it depends on your cohort. Every single year group is completely different. Sometimes things fit well in each year but sometimes it just doesn't go as well as the previous, the way you've done it before. Not because you've taught it different, because the kids are different. So um, I like to get to know the kids first. So that's why the first two weeks at school, which is in a few weeks time, I think the most crucial to get to know the kids as quickly as you can. Because then when you plan, you've got the kids in, in mind rather than, well, I did this last time, it worked well. It shouldn't be, it should be, well, I did it work well last time. But will it fit these kids that I've got now? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the that's kind of the way we do it. And are there any tweaks to to make or anything like that as well? Sorry. And are there any tweaks to make? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. This is because um, sometimes you know um, the first topic we're doing is Romans. Now I've spoken to an author before. Um, she did the book called Escape from Pompeii. And by speaking to authors as well, you through Skype. There's so many things out there that teachers just don't know that 
it's available like Skype. Um, I always, whatever book we do, I'll email them. I'll find them on Twitter, on Facebook. I'll message them saying, can we talk to you? And a lot of them, we've spoken to about 10 authors now. Wow. Um, that have said yes. What would you say percentage responses of yes? I'm quite persistent. Um, I've still not got David Williams yet, but I did meet him a few few months ago and I spoke to him because I did the BBC teach thing recently. Mm-hmm. And he said he would, uh, I don't know whether he was just being nice, but he said he would speak to us. But I think what, if you can you imagine if you're if you're an author and you love kids books and you you know this is your passion if someone contacts you from the school and says by the way we've already bought your books mm-hmm. so that's gone um would you like to could we get you to speak to the kids and then for 10 15 minutes through Skype sat in your own comfortable room you can speak directly to the children you're writing directly for. to super fans yeah exactly <laughs> why and wouldn't you as a teacher you're you're telling the kids you guys are going to be authors one day they kind of believe you but if you've got an author that they respect and love, yeah. telling them that they can be authors themselves, then they believe it that more. And then as well, you stood at the side thing, and then I always speak to them beforehand. We've spoken to PJ Black, who's a wonderful author. Um, what I get him to do is I get him to set a writing task for my class. Mm-hmm. So he'll write something and then he'll incorporate, he's incorporated something in his recent book that one of my kids have written. Mm-hmm. And I'll always go, could you shout out to this little kid? There's a, there's a child that struggles with writing and confidence and believes they're not a good writer, but they've done this wonderful word. Anytime she could just mention that next time we speak to you. And they do. So can you imagine as a child that doesn't think they're not going to be a good writer, get author calls you up stand in front of the camera yeah. and the author says that word you've written is just believe me it's wonderful you can just see the confidence they just yeah, yeah. even the, the posture they just grow and they sit back and they think well i can do this yeah and it's just nice to see it's nice that you you use those experiences mm. in that way as well as it's not just about them being exposed to that but mm. you try and squeeze every ounce of I forgot confidence the question it was how do you plan coverage of a topic i don't know um so what advice would you give to somebody then who wanted to take their learning bigger than the classroom? Um, just give it a go. Because you can either learn, you can either achieve what you want and, and something could happen. And that, like I talked about before, you don't cap children's um, what they can achieve. But also if it doesn't quite go wrong, just address that and then learn from it. Because like we spoke about before, how... We're so focused on not making mistakes, but we tell the children it's fine to make mistakes, but we've got to be able to make those mistakes ourselves. And just and you can just learn, you learn, you learn just as much from a lesson that go, doesn't go well as much as you do from the ones that do. So you learn from, as long as you're learning, mm. it's worth it. It's worth to give it a go. And the children can still learn from something that doesn't yeah. go perfectly well as well, which I think is important mm. to to remember in this, yeah. you know. If they are learning, they might not be learning exactly what you planned, but they'll be learning something, mm. and that's important. Um, so you've mentioned about poetry. Mm-hmm. How how can teachers engage children in their poetry lessons? Right, well, when I first started teaching and throughout school, I hated poetry because it was boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I hate poetry is because when the teachers used to teach it to us in primary school, um, you could tell that they didn't like poetry as well. Um, and kids are very good at noticing things, um, more so than adults. So I found that a lot of teachers with poetry will have, they'll either do an acrostic poem, which is great, but they'll do it in autumn, you'll have to like move oh, the autumn down, yeah. or at winter, with winter. Um, and they'll, they'll think, right, oh gosh, I've got a spare week, what am I going to do? I'll, I'll do a bit of poetry. And because it's not, the emphasis is not on let's, let's celebrate and do poetry, then because it's, it's kind of shoehorned in. Yeah. It doesn't have that effect. 
and the kids feed off that. So what I've always done whenever I've had um, my first class, and I'll do this with my class that comes out in September, the first time I do poetry, I just don't tell them that we're doing poetry. What I do is we have Walt and Wilf, what we are learning to, and usually write the Walt we are learning to, write personification poetry, for example. Um, but I hide, I hide the waltz underneath a box so they just can't see it. So straight away the kids are like, well, what's this lesson? It's hidden. And I say, well, your, your job is to now guess or tell me at the end of the lesson what you think the waltz going to be. So straight away, for the first they're time, they, they want to know what that, they're like, well, I'm going to find out what that is. Because if you tell them we're doing poetry, some, a lot of kids will have a negative view of poetry and then you yeah. can see that. They'll already know from yeah. somebody who knows somebody who knows yeah. somebody. Oh, I don't yeah. like poems. Yeah. Or they'll fixate with trying to rhyme the last word, you know, rhyming couplets, which is great yeah, if you can yeah. do it, but it's it's a difficult skill to have and it's something that shouldn't be focused upon. So um, when I do rivers or whatever topic we do, we're personifying something, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll move the classroom, move the tables um, so we've got a big space on the floor. I'll roll a big piece of paper down the centre, like the, news, not newspaper, the backing paper. Mm-hmm. That goes on that when you're from B&Q, that's a huge paper, you can get it for really cheap. Um, I roll that down and I'll put head in. I used to be. Uh-huh. So I used to be. And then, I w- actually, I'll give an example of the river poetry that we did. I used to be. Um, I used to be floating through the air and I'd show videos of clouds and I used to be, and you've got to pretend you're that cloud, just write stuff down on that paper. But because it's not on a book and it's separate from what they used to be in the classroom, it's a little mm. bit different. They're just writing, just, just writing sentences because they don't think they're writing poetry yet. Yeah, yeah. So then you do another head in. So, um, another teaching point whether it be a video or a discussion write some more words down it can be one word or a long word because when kids get to key stage two especially they think a good sentence is a really 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 long sentence with loads of adjectives but um they've got to get to use the fact that sometimes one or two word sentences can be just as powerful really if not powerful, more than yeah. a really long and you need to have a mixture mm. i talked to them about um my favourite chocolates and sweets are like, um, you know, the heroes or the celebrations because you've got a bit of everything. Mm. If you have something that's the same all the time, you get a bit bored. You might like it, but you get bored, but you want a bit of a difference there. And that's the same with sentences, short, medium, long, mm. mix them up a bit. So they write stuff down. And then because you're writing stuff down on a piece of paper that they can all see, those that are a little bit unsure about what to write can have a look at what's going on on other page and what other people are writing, so they can um, steal ideas because that's what writing is. It's, it's stealing ideas, or magpie, as we say as teachers. And then you stand back and we have a look at what we've written. I love this word. I love this word. You choose a child that uses them like writing. You pick their piece of work and say, I love the way you said this. That one word is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then you go again and again. And then by the end of the lesson, you've got this huge piece of paper down the centre of the classroom with loads of words, really rich vocabulary, really interesting things that they didn't think they could have written before. And then what I do, I said, right, well, let's take, let's go back to the start and then we start writing on the board. So we do like a we shared write together. Um, what should we put for our first sentence? Let's use this, this and this. So we use bits of sentences and put them together. We make a, a few sentences on the board. Then we go again and we use some more sentences. And because you're using bits of sentences, they all have ownership of this one piece of writing that you're writing. I'm not just using one child's work, I'm using yeah. this, 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 and this. And because sometimes you write things that are quite similar, they, they all think it's like, oh, I've written that bit, so they take ownership of it. Mm. So we write all and, and then they've got justification that it's good as well, yeah. if more children because have written something like, similar. Yeah, that's great, yeah. And at the end of it, we've got these four or five verses of a river poem, river personification poetry, that the kids have written and that what I do is then I'll read it back to them but I say um, I'm going to read it back with a bit of music or with a bit of 
like a river noise running in the background, we'll turn the lights down a bit, we'll perform it a little bit. So then um, I read the poem back to them, I talk about intonation, pitch and tone, and we, because we actually can give it a go right mm-hmm. then. And then, then at the end I say, well, what have we written there? And then some of them will click, it's a poem, because of the way I've read it. But some of them are not too sure that that's what it is. But then when I reveal the waltz, a personification poem, we can talk as personification because it was a river at that time and they understand that a river is not a person, but we personified yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. that river. And they can, we can talk about how a poem doesn't have to rhyme because that one doesn't. Mm. So then they get it then, so it clicks. Because if I would have just said at the start of the lesson, today we're going to write a personification poem about a river, they're off like, already. whoa, how am, I supposed to be, how am I supposed to personify a river? It just doesn't work. But yeah, by yeah. doing it that way, they understand that quite a, what they perceive as a difficult thing to do it's actually quite easy because we all did it together. So then the next day we'll do it again. And what I do is that big piece of paper that we had down the centre of the classroom, I pin it to the ceiling because we've got those foam squares kind of like we've got in here. Pin it to the ceiling. So when we're writing it, the kids can look up and they can see what they did the previous day. So then they're writing their own personification poems. So then when we do it again, whether it be on an animal or whatever we're doing, um, we revisit it. They've got that skill then of being able to think, I know what personification poem is. Because another thing that they struggle with is with um, when you write a poem, how what's the grammar? What, what grammar am I supposed to use? I'm supposed to put a full stop at the end of each sentence. In poems, you don't have to do that. And the good thing about not having, you can just play with punctuation more with the poem. And the kids, um, the good thing about, and Paul Jenkins is a poet, he lives in Ramsbottom near me, he talks about this and he says that if the kids know that they can break the rules of grammar, because that's what you're doing when you write a poem, then you kind of know the rules in the first place. So if you know you're breaking a rule, you know the rule in the first place. So you can talk it to so your kind of camouflage talking about grammar because oh, we know that usually you put a full stop here at this centre because it's a poem, we don't have to. And they like breaking the rules because if you say, guys, you can break the rules of grammar, they're going to yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And then you can also, poems, they have so much, you can convey a lot of information in a short piece of writing. Mm. And they're not that difficult to write. And then the last thing is poems have to be performed. It's like writing like Shakespeare, just no one ever performed his plays. They'd just be on a piece of paper. You wouldn't mm. see what it's supposed to be like. But when we write poems, we perform it. So we always record our group poem, mm-hmm. put it on YouTube and different things. And this is kind of how what happened with the arc of poetry. That, that's how that got seen and other things that we've done um, as well. That, that's been seen around the world. And then the kids know how easy it is to do poems mm. so then I, bl- I hope that when they go to year five or year six or whatever class they go to next when the teacher says we're going to do poems they're like oh I love poems I'm going to write some and then what I do as well is I have um, to help with poetry and just creative writing in general I have a book that, that I give them to the, give to them the start of the year and I said that's your creative writing book you can just write whatever you want be creative poems stories whatever you want I'm not going to mark it that's just for you and when you give them the opportunity just to play with language and write things and not think oh, it's going to get marked this they write more and they do it for themselves and for pleasure so when you do poems and you do different lessons when they come in class the next day and they're writing on the, on the book and they're bringing you some work because they've just done it themselves it just adds so much value to to creative writing then you can tap into that when you start doing your lessons i love that idea i just just when you mentioned that i realized i i had that as a child um, i remember in year six mrs clark we had a book and it was called a jotter and for 10 minutes in the morning yeah 10 minutes in the morning we could just do write what we wanted we could um there was a bit of a thing where you know um you you do dots and you do that game squares 
gosh. Uh, yes, you could do that. You could write. You could do anything. And, and I really enjoyed that, actually, because nobody was looking. Mm. Um, yeah, I love that idea. That's a really good idea. But then they write for themselves, not because you told them to. They're writing because they want to. Yeah, and I think, and I remember as a child at home, I did that. And probably fostered by just being able to be free with it and knowing what I was doing was good, mm. you know, believing in it. Um, I love that. So, Sean, who works for Classroom Secrets, because mm-hmm. I ask everybody if they've got any questions for, for the guests, um, she wants to know what part of teaching do you love the most? Gosh, it's, that's like such a big question for me, but I'd say the one, just getting to know the kids, just getting to know 30 different kids and personalities. And because I'm quite childish myself, it's wonderful just to go to school and no two days are the same and you get to hang out with kids that um, they come to school and when they want to come to school and you see they want to learn. And mm. when you help a child through someone, you know, you've got some children that like, didn't like poetry and then by the end of it, they love poetry. Then mm. that's just, that for me is the key thing. I mean, we did, um, we did Macbeth this year, the last academic year. And if I told them we wanted to do Shakespeare, they would have been like, mm not doing Shakespeare it's too difficult mm. but what I did is I kind of I had a section of my library that said do not enter I, put, I taped it up said danger do not go in these books and already they wanted to know what was in that that little thing and then I gradually um we did Macbeth and it's quite a linear story and then they understood the story of Macbeth and then we did some drama around it and then I remember I sat in my um my room at lunchtime I'm usually at lunchtime and my room's like a corner of the next to the playground and the kids don't realise when they think it's lunchtime, they think that windows stop working. Mm-hmm. They don't realise you can see them still. They think it's just like they're invisible. And I was sat marking um, some of their work and some of the lads were playing Shakespeare outside my room. And I was like, yes, mm. I wish Ofsted was here and stuff to watch kids playing yeah, Shakespeare yeah. outside. Yeah. And these are year four kids. Um, yeah, so I think... And boys. Yeah, and boys, yeah. And so just getting to know children, just getting to see that that... Do you know that light bulb moment when someone understands something that they struggled with at the start and just and you, when you get to the end of the year I'm a mess last week because you spend four or five days each week from the whole year with these kids you get to know their personalities they get to know you you have such a lovely relationship and then the last week you're kind of aware that oh gosh I've got to let these kids go to the next class and then mm. it starts again it's such a difficult thing but I think it's good that it's a difficult thing because it must mean something for me and for them as well. Yeah. That and so then built those relationships. Yeah. And it's and I like to because being a, a male primary school teacher, like six foot, I'm quite tall. I could be quite intimidated. I remember when I was at school, they had a guy at school. It was, it was a bit scary. I never want to be considered as this scary teacher. So I go and pop into reception year one and year two, and I say hello to them, and they all know who I am, and I smile at them, and I think it's such a nice thing to have that. They want to be in my class, so when they get in class, they all think it's fun and games at first because they must be in class, but um, they realise very quickly that, that I care about them because I do, mm. and they, in turn they always give the best back for me, so that's kind of what works for me, just getting to know them, and yeah, I hope mm. that's answered your question. Yeah. Um, Hannah wants to know, if you weren't teaching, what would you be doing? I don't know, honestly. I, I thought about that question, I really don't know. Because, I mean, I did come into teaching quite late, but um, it's because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of knew I did, I didn't go to university, I was 22, and I did sports science. So throughout school, I chose subjects that I was interested in. And then when I was in university, we did a three-week placement because I thought I might want to be a PE teacher at secondary school. So I did a three-week placement at a secondary school. I hated it. But just, I just, it just didn't fit with me. And then by chance, the primary school next door 
um, they they said, would you help us out for a few days? And I worked at that school for a few days and thought, I love this. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I did my experience and eventually I got my PGC. But I'm, I'm really into technology and gadgets and gizmos. And I think maybe something creative around that side of it. But I honestly, it's such a hard question because I don't honestly don't know what I'd do if I wasn't a teacher. I really don't know. Hannah, that's your answer. Unemployed, <laughs> Unemployed yeah. Um, so you've mentioned on the, the, the Friday you do CPD. Mm-hmm. What do you actually do your CPD courses about? So um, I do a mixture between, I work with different companies and organisations. And um, so at the, at the moment I'm working with Clever Cogs who do bring the skate rooms to schools, which mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm, but, which yeah, I've seen, yeah. Yeah, which are just, it's just fun. So I'm involved with them because I just enjoy it and I believe in what they're doing. And I work with a, a couple of organisations as well just things that I'm interested in and when I do do CPD sessions it's usually based on when people see my Facebook they see that they'll use a lot of technology and mm-hmm. creative ways of teaching so they look at my CPD sessions around that but what I do is I go into a school and before I go in I, um, I've got like a certain amount of like things that I'll cover mm-hmm. but I'll look at their school development plan and ask them well what would you what would you like me to mm-hmm. help you with yeah. And then when I go in, it's more tailored to what they. There's not. I don't think there's a specific one course that fits with every school because mm. each school is different. So sometimes I go into school and they it's haven't got like the technology. Bespoke, based on yeah, what so need. that's kind of what I do. And I've just with my. I have a Friday, but my school are quite flexible. So sometimes if a school wants me to go in on a Tuesday, I move my Friday to a Tuesday. So I'm allowed to move my day around depending on. That's helpful. And um, what to, what fits, but yeah. So and I also. If one Friday I'm not working, I get to take my daughter, my, my little son to school. So that's mm-hmm. a nice thing that I wouldn't usually have. Yeah, and I guess you, I suppose, on those Fridays where you're not necessarily working, you're sort of working on your things from home. Yeah, I can work on my Facebook page more than I had last time. I used, I used to work in the evenings, put a video up, and yeah. I do it in the evenings. But now, if I've got nothing on, I put something that I can spend more time on it, and I can just contact people and speak to different companies and I'm mm-hmm. quite surprised with where my career has taken me because when I became a teacher I thought you're, you're a teacher, SLT, deputy head, head, retired. I thought that's mm-hmm. what you go for. I had no idea that there are these different avenues and things you mm-hmm. could go into because I just didn't know mm-hmm. but there's so many things out there so NQTs maybe starting in this September or people that have been teaching for a while there is other stuff that you can get into and you just kind of got to look for it and know that it's there. Yeah, yeah, so you can move into it. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know if you know, but Classroom Secrets um, has got a life-work balance campaign on at the moment. Mm-hmm, I that. believe in it a lot. If you could wave a magic wand, mm-hmm. what would your solution to the life-work balance problem be? I'd be a millionaire if I, if I had this wand. But if I did have this wand, I would get rid of pointless exercises for teachers. There is... There's some schools have excessive marking, mm-hmm. um, like this deep mark in some schools, deep mark for one, two, three pieces a day, and it can, you can spend hours doing this, and it depends on school's marking policy. I know it's changing at the moment. The government are trying to say we don't want the reliance on marking, but then they still want evidence of what your marking is. Um, so I would do away with pointless paper exercises that, as a teacher, I mean, teachers will know, sometimes you're filling stuff in and you think, I'm doing this because I have to. It, but if it doesn't benefit the child that you're teaching, mm-hmm. then it shouldn't be done no matter what it is. It shouldn't happen. Mm. Do you think, like, when you say that, it always confuses me because every school's different, so mm. you can never see every teacher's experience, but examples of what exactly? Right, so at the moment, we in maths, 
So we used to do comments and maths. And now at the moment, what we're doing, our school, we've changed our math. We kind of, you have to take a risk to try something yes, a bit different. Yes. So we have a number policy. So one, two or three. So if there are, if there are one, they haven't quite got it yet, but they're on the journey. If there are two, they've understood what they've done and they've kind of, they've, they've got that subject on a mathematical concept. If there are three, it means a greater depth. And what we do, we mark during the lesson. Mm. So it's so much more valuable to, it's, it's quite, the lesson's busier because you have to get around, but you don't usually have math in the evening because you've just done a tick. And you can then, if someone's struggling, if you're running around with your TA, not running around, but if you're going around with your TA and marking things at, the, at that time when they're, they're struggling, it's so much more powerful if you're then able to say, oh, well, they, you, we need to do this, or come to our focus group, rather than the day after, them carrying on getting it wrong. And then reading Mark and saying, you should have done this, this mm -hmm. and this, because mm -hmm. it's already it's gone past then. Yeah. It's given them that verbal feedback straight away. And then some kids just don't read it. You, you know, well, sometimes, yeah, it, yeah, if you do some marking, you know the kids that possibly need to read it just, just won't read it. So that's what it's, it depends on the school's marking policy. I know it's such a difficult thing, but yeah. it's it would save some. And just believe in the teachers a little bit more. Let the teachers teach. Yeah, and I love that as well, because... When I first came into primary school, I'd been in secondary before, and I remember um, sitting down with the group, because that's what I was told to do. I, I never learnt to do that when I did my PGC, because it was secondary and I did performing arts. And I think, you know, what are all the other children doing? How how will I steer yeah. them? And I used to sit down and mark all the books at the end. I used to think, well, I've just wasted a lesson here. Now, you know, how, how do I get around that? Yet when I was on supply... I used to sort of be naughty and I used to go around the class and mark as uh, they were going rather than sit with a group. Mm. And, you know, I remember being told off for doing that um, frequently. I'd always be looking outside the classroom because it was in the time where you sit down with the group and you don't move. Yeah. Um, yet, actually, it, now it's it's becoming a thing where people are recognising actually that's useful for them to know in, in the lesson. Another thing I used to do as well is I used to hate guided reading, especially... Um, on supply because you don't know all the different little groups mm. that they had and I'd take a text and I'd do it as a whole class but they, that was when you weren't allowed to do that um, and when you weren't allowed to kind of helicopter as it were um, but I did that to kind of get me through the day so that I didn't have to stay um, really long on an evening mm. so I kind of think that does make sense to help teachers with the life work balance to be able to actually react in the lesson instead of waiting we all know don't we that feedback you need it straight away if you if you've fallen out with your wife then you know if you don't say something straight away and you say it the next day it's never going to have the same amount of impact is it no so i think i think i think it's really really good completely. that it's kind of coming around but i mean the government have realized this but i mean but then we still have the the testing system that we have in the country that you have to still pass but yeah i do think just straight away if you can say well you need to do this at the time they're doing it and it's much better than doing it talking about it the day after when it's already gone yeah yeah when you've already kind of cemented in your mind i'm doing it this way and then and you know time has passed and maybe you've thought about it and you've kind of i don't know maybe it's gone into and it a gives different you evening back memory. as well because yeah. although you're, you're busy during class you go home and i don't often if ever take books back in fact our head on the door he has a, a no like a, do you know those trolleys that you see teachers walking around with that yeah. break all the time with books in he's got a him, a couple of years ago, one of the teachers was taking one of those home and it broke because it had so many books in. So he's got a sign on the door, it's got a cross that says on that box, so no marking the last go home. And and But again, it's all on your SLT and your, head, your leadership at the school, how that works. Buying into that and, and, and trusting that um, sometimes I think 
it's when um, leadership worry that your teachers aren't going to pass Ofsted for you. So you yeah. give all these, you know, you've got to trust that the teachers are going to have your back, mm. um, even if you allow them to have more of a life. Yeah, but then if the, that, if the SLT is doing that for the Ofsted, it's not for the kids, it's to no, have a good no, Ofsted report. No. Which is not what it's about. No, not what it's about. But I can also understand, I understand why the they might yeah. do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, right. So we've got some quick fire questions then. Okay. Um, you don't have to answer them quickly if you don't want. Um, but who's your favourite teacher and why? Year six, Mrs. Parker. You always remember the teacher you love and the teacher you didn't like. Um, Mrs. Parker was the first teacher. I was very shy in primary school, extremely shy in secondary school, which is why I didn't go to university until I was 22, 23. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have coped at 18. I was just too within myself and then I didn't start teaching until I was 28, 29. Mm-hmm. Um, Miss Parker, she did things a bit differently. She believed in me. She she could see I liked creativity. I used to like art. I was quite a good artist when I was younger so she asked me to paint things and do things for her and she's the first teacher that really took an interest in the shy boy because I, I was quite a middle ground I was just beige just sail through. Yeah, yeah. Excellent behaviour. Never aware academically, but just sailed through the middle. But she's the first person to sort of pick me up. Mm. And I wish and I hope that Miss um, Park, if she ever sees anything that she's I'm listening. doing, I, she's I, I really listening. do hope she um, she does because she had a son called Simon as well. I don't know if that was a thing as well, at the same age as me. Um, yeah. But I'd love her. I'd love her to see that I became a teacher because of her. So yeah. She's the reason why yeah. I became a teacher, and she's kind of who I model myself on. Yeah. You need to try and seek her out and get her to listen. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, what do you wish you'd known when you first started out in teaching? The first one, like I mentioned before, that there's lots of other things in education that you can do. Mm-hmm. The second one is that, I mean, there'll be a lot of entities starting in September that think they have to know everything. Mm. They need to know everything from day one. There's no way that you could possibly know everything. And even those people that have been teaching for 10, 20, 30 years, still no one knows everything because it changes all the time. So... I would say if anyone's listening to this, worried about should I know every single su- subject, gram- grammatical term, spelling method, teaching method, no, you, you don't need to know everything. You learn on the job. Yeah. And you don't, please don't think you have to know everything from the start. And I wish I would have known that from the start myself because I just got myself in a bit of worked up over the summer. Yeah. I got worried, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do this? I don't know everything. And you kind of, you get stressed out yourself like with the well-being. You think you need to yeah. know everything, but you don't. Yeah. And it is quite normal, isn't it, to be a lesson ahead of the children um, in your knowledge, especially in topic. Mm. Um, And ask teachers as well, because every teacher had SLT at some point, they were were, were an NQT at the school. So they'll know what that feeling's like. So you'd be quite surprised if you ask people that you work with, look, I'm struggling with this. It's Mm -hmm. okay to say that you're struggling with something or ask for help, because teachers will help you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I, and I kind of hope they do get that help because I do think mm. sometimes on some of the Facebook groups it can be a bit negative, which yeah, is, I find such be. a shame. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's okay to not know something. Um, okay, what are the three biggest changes that you've seen during your time in education? So, right, okay, let me think. So I've been teaching for 10 years now. I'll tell you, one thing is the interactive whiteboard projectors to the normal screen. But I used to have, do you know, one of those boards that the projectors kind of stuck out. I used to bang my head on it all the time. So we are all projectors, so the text kind of changed. So we've gone to a lot of schools, have gone to iPads and Chromebooks. So yeah. a lot more content based on um, electrical iPads and different things like that. That's one. Another one I'd say the funding and the TAs. So when I first started teaching, every school, every teacher had one or sometimes two TAs mm-hmm. every lesson. 
now with the funding just disappearing, those TAs are the first ones to go. And mm. TAs are so important for a school. A good oh, teacher yeah. is a good teacher because they've got a good TA. Yeah. Um, and the, the funding of um, um, teaching assistants disappearing is just completely... I mean, I work in the Bury Council. They've lost £28 million in the past. And there's a big thing going on at the moment, and James Frith, the MP there, is really campaigning to get some funding back to schools. And mm. budgets are so tight, and it's so difficult because... Mm. At the end, we want to do the best for the kids, but we haven't got support there. It's sometimes quite difficult. So I'd say that's definitely another one. Um, let me think. So another. So that's two, isn't it? So what's the other one? I'd say um, how social media's kind of crept in there. So mm -hmm. when I first started teaching, we had some like tests and primary resources that you used to look on. Yeah, yeah. But now there's a lot of things online that help teachers. So like like classroom classroom secrets and like different resources you can get online, but also teachers helping each other online. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with the Facebook sharing groups, things, yeah, sharing yeah. things. So I've shared lots of things on my page and I've had teachers message me back saying, I used your lesson in class last week. It was wonderful. Thank you. And I've also seen people, you know, if you've got a, need help with something, as much as they might be one or two that are quite negative because there's always, you know, there's always, oh, yeah. a, always a, a mood hoover in the room. Um, <laughs> a lot of people will help you. So if you say I need help with this. What do you think? And if you look at all the groups, people help each other all the time because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you're withholding information because you don't want to tell that teacher because it's, it's one of your ideas, you're not affecting that teacher, you're affecting the teacher that, that the kids that that teacher teaches. Mm -hmm. And we're all in the job to teach and help kids. So if you've got some information that you can, if you've got a quick two minutes to type and help someone out, then you, I think you should do it because it will help the children they teach. And also, just share, we're all teachers, just sharing the burden and sharing the knowledge mm -hmm. to help each other out. And I think that's a, a thing, the social media that has kind of crept in and, and within schools as well, because I mean, a lot of things, you know, you get Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups with kids falling out with each other in year six and now yeah. year five and it's going yeah. lower and lower. So I think social media is a good and a bad thing, depending on which way you look at it. But we need to have a balanced view of social media. It also might help a teacher spend a Sunday afternoon with their own children. Yeah, as well. Exactly. Rather than search, if you if it, anyone, if you're looking for a specific resource and you're searching and searching, you're spending two, three hours. But if you could have popped that on Facebook and somebody, it's here, ping, you've got two hours to back your life that you can then so, do, you know, make, yeah. relax and get ready for the next day. Pay it forward, yeah. Um, where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? Need some money for a start. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the governments, there's such a change in the government at the moment and I really hope that they, they focus on education suffering, education suffering, but we're taking money from you. I hope that that money goes back to schools. So then each class could have, I'd love each class to have a TA full time every mm -hmm. time. And also, um, I think because obviously the technology is a bit more, it's around more with iPads and different types of things. But we got to, I really think we have to use an iPad or use something to enhance teaching and learning, not as a gimmick. If it's a gimmick, then don't use it. I've been to so many schools that have said we need some help with iPads, but all they use the iPads for is um, just Safari, just searching. Okay. It's not being used for what it is. It's you like, well yeah, exactly. And then on the flip side, the, you'll get a school that go, right, what's the, everyone's buying iPads. Let's buy iPads and put 60 apps. And then you'll get those teachers that struggle with, you know, that in teaching for a while are just not tech savvy. That if you throw 60 iPads at 60 apps at someone, yeah. this does this, this does this. They're like, whoa, yeah. wh where do I start from? If you get, my advice is if you get um, a set of iPads, look at three or four apps or things that will help everyone and the kids. 
and then focus on those and then gradually expand rather yeah, than yeah. chuck a lot of apps at it's people yeah. and help each other out and get people into it that, that know that you know wouldn't do that on you. your own phone would you you wouldn't, no. you wouldn't get an iphone and go right i'm going to buy 60 apps yeah and some you apps would just get no them eye. as you need yeah. them and you can implement them into your life yeah so i think um, we've got to go down the route of, we need funding we need tas and we need to make sure the technology that we are getting in schools is used and utilised as best as it can be. Mm -hmm. In the correct way. Okay, good. Who's your inspiration within education? Do you know what? It's, there's, there's so many different things I could think of here. Um, it, there's lots of people that I follow on Facebook and teachers and people that I've met in the in educational business, like um, Damien Challenger, who works for Nexus Education. He's put me in contact with different people, and now that's why I ended up in Barcelona recently. Um, but easily the first answer is the kids that you teach because that's what education is about the children so they're my inspiration because they come into school some come for breakfast club before school they're there with you from nine till three then they go to um, after school club and then they go home and then they have much more resilience sometimes and give them credit for them and they're yeah i'd say the kids that we teach those are my inspiration because some of them i got um i won't say it was but I, when we left school last year the kids that have just gone up. I had um, a letter from a parent whose, it was a parent, sorry, it was a grandmother because uh, one of the children in my class went through a lot of things at home. She lost a family member, basically. And she wrote a, a lovely letter that explained that she's was so happy going to school and that you've done this, this and this. And that one letter means so much as a teacher, than, more than anything that someone could, you know, all the gifts you get at the end of the day, which is lovely. But that one thing to know that that child managed to stay in class and was happy because of you it means a lot yeah and if you're listening on the podcast we're getting a bit emotional right now <laughs> I, know, I get emotional all the time yeah yeah, yeah. that's um but yeah definitely kids and that's, what and that's one of the reasons for doing it isn't it mm. okay last question i don't think you knew the answer to this but what did you want to be when you grew up i don't know and i don't think i've grown up yet because <laughs> i've said this to, do you know what i actually had this conversation i said to the kids what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, this, this, and this. And I said, I said to my teenage Mrs. Bother, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had a conversation with her before that. You, I don't think you ever grow up. I don't think you, you ever stop wanting to do things. Yeah. So I'd like to, when I, when I grow up, I'd like to be an author. I'd love to write a book one day that kids read. So yeah, um, that's my answer. I'd like so to that's going to be on the um, Fridays when you've not got anything booked in. You're going yeah, to start writing your I'd book. Yeah, because um, one of my friends, Anna Lucas, she's written a book called Sarah Undercracker. It's about a guy that wears underpants on his head. Mm -hmm. And my little boy loves it. And it's really nice to know someone that's written a book that my boy loves reading. Yeah, and he puts yeah. underpants on his head sometimes. Yeah, Clean yeah. ones. I've told him about when they did ones on. But I'd love to be able to create something that someone reads at bedtime because story time at the evening is my favourite time of the evening. Some stories are kind of bored of reading. Like, you know, you can just recite oh, a certain yeah, book yeah. like off by heart. Um, my little boy's into dinosaur books at the moment, which is great. I'm just a bit pronunciation's not great. He's got a better pronunciation than me with some of those dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, so when I grow up, I'd love to be an author. Yeah. In fact... What about yourself? What do you like to be when you grow up? I want to still be an entrepreneur in a million different businesses. I've got all these ideas. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just like... Yeah, I like doing new things as well. Just, um, I kind of like to set a crazy goal and go, oh yeah, let's just see if we can do it. Like like setting up a podcast in four and a half weeks. There you go. Um, How's it going for you so far? Good. It's going really, <laughs> really good. We've got some great guests, so thank you Thanks for coming. Um, 
but yeah, just doing something a bit wild. But what, just what you said about the authors then, I was just thinking, I'd never thought of that connection when you said about bedtime reading. And you know what? There are some books that I really hate. And, you know, we'll look at the shelf and, and she'll pick one and we'll be like, not that book. That long. It's really long. Yeah, it's really long. It's really boring. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But some of them, I'll be like, shall we read this one? Because I like it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. Um, so when you've written one, I'll, my daughter can read it and I'll well, tell you whether it's uh, good or not. investing in businesses, I think Mr Hunt from the Front, author extraordinaire, uh, could be a potential business. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> we'll write a check later, we'll sort that yeah, out. Yeah, and you'll have to come on, back on the podcast when um, when you launch that. And um, I've got a three-year-old tester, so... Good. Yeah, brilliant. The best ones to test on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining no us. No problem, thank you. And um, this will be going out uh, very shortly. And, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It was lovely to meet Simon and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with his children next to inspire us all to take learning a step further. If you want to look up any of the websites that he mentioned, you'll find these in the show notes. If it's the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We are securing some great guests for you and if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community. This episode is now live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to watch and subscribe to the channel. Did you love this episode? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high-quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.